Welcome back to The Popular Parallax, a sci-fi limited series podcast hosted by our guest for this series, Milo Davinas, and me, Jerrica Lala. Be sure to subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Popular Parallax. And now... Join us on a nine-episode escapade through the epidemic-ridden hellscape of The Last of Us. Well, well, well. Fancy meeting you here. Do you care to take a trek across America, the place that once was and now is a land of broken dreams and promises? Once. It certainly is. (laughs) Now and forevermore, Jerrica. That's for sure. We're back for The Last of Us, episode six. How's it going, Milo? Well, I've got a viral plague of my own today, <laughs> but other than that, it's also my birthday, so what a way to kick happy off Happy birthday! Day. Woo! Thank you, Jerrica. Thank you. Yes, I'm very happy to be spending it here chatting about some mushrooms and some dead people. Yes, it's going to be better than my birthday. I will be literally putting in a show, so... <laughs> <laughs> the fun never ends in March. The Even on the walk of death. <laughs> no, yes. See, and right now, uh, in, here in Toronto, we're in the middle of a weird snow ice vortex <laughs> that has just come down and attacked today. My chihuahua is thrilled. He's not pissed <laughs> off at all. And not barking at everybody out of rage for the snow that has returned. So everybody's feeling great. Yeah, we're having a good time. If you want... 14 degrees one week and then minus 30 the next. <laughs> this Come is on the- down to Toronto. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're living life. No wonder my face is full of mucus. It's great. Jerrica has promised that she will edit around all of the sniffling and snorting. So I hope it's not too obnoxious for you, dear listeners. I'll try and keep it to a minimum. That <laughs> oh, will be fine. We start, uh, just in case anybody forgot, let's re-show Henry shooting himself in the head and the screams that follow from our two heroes. Just in, I mean, in case you forgot over one week, the emotional damage that happened to you while you were watching that. We're just going to throw that on the screen one more time. So it's like, oh, remember this? This mild, small event? And you're like, oh, yeah, that's coming back. And then we see that it's three months later. So they've been traveling west for three months, just basically like scrimping off the snowy, wintry land, kind of half starving to death. That's... That's what I'm picking up. It's not a pleasant thing to survive an apocalypse full stop, but when you throw the seasons in, winter is just not... That's going to be the tough one, especially when you leave the major urban centers. We're not on the East Coast anymore. We're not in the like heavily populated grocery stores every two feet kind of place. We're in the back country, the back back country. Yeah, and... of Alberta. Exactly. Well, you know, wherever along the Rockies you are, you're not getting yourself any fresh groceries anytime soon. Yeah, this is not what John Denver was talking about, but um, (laughs) here we are. We see a little, like a little log cabin, very charming. Mm -hmm. A gentleman walks up to the the cabin with like a bunny who is dead that we're, you know, we're going to eat. And for a moment, I actually thought that that was Joel and they'd somehow gotten themselves like a place to like squat but no it is a, a charming native couple over mm-hmm. over 60 maybe 70 like in that area as we go into the house and he's hanging the rabbits outside we realize that joel is actually holding up this woman but she's very relaxed <laughs> she doesn't give a fuck mm-hmm that he's standing there with a gun. She's just having a nice conversation like there is no gun. And he's not a total stranger. <laughs> and she seems to find the whole thing kind of funny, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, they both they both do. And I could have done a whole episode here. I originally thought we were getting like a much more we're, we're hanging out together kind of vibe. The older yeah. indigenous couple maybe housing Joel and Ellie. You know, this this still worked. We were in and out of there pretty quickly, but yeah. I was really excited to see Graham Greene there, who plays Marlon, the old man. That was awesome. And the lady, yeah. I, I was just like, why is the wife Roseanne Barr? <laughs> <laughs> 
very politically incorrect with Roseanne Barr. By the way, if anyone's young listening to this, Roseanne used to be like a super liberal, like so liberal she would offend people. And now she's a crazy person. Yeah. So when I say that, I'm thinking of the old 80s charming Roseanne Barr, not the current Trump nightmare Roseanne Barr. So, but she did remind me of her big time. I don't know if Roseanne has a little bit of native mixed in there somewhere. People always think I have that because I have that big face like Mm -hmm. (laughs) the lady. But she was so fun that I wish that she had her own spinoff of just like serving bandit soup. (laughs) I like, I mean, it's a great thing about zombie stuff in general. And I think with The Last of Us in particular, there's all of this potential. And these characters were added to the television show, too. So I could have had a whole series, once again, with these two indigenous (laughs) characters and their life in this cabin. And, you know, it is, again, a conversation we've had many times on this podcast about people with marginalized identities being left to the side. And it would just be fascinating to see how those characters worked. And At least they lived. At exactly. least they lived. They did not get shot. Nobody hurt them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he didn't hurt me. Yeah, I got eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Very witty. Oh, Very fast dialogue. Yeah. I, really I like, like how it. amused they were by Ellie's nonstop swearing. They were like, yikes. <laughs> it, was, it was really charming. Like, they could, they understood that Joel and Ellie were out there trying to survive they probably have come across their share of dangers in the post-apocalyptic world. Certainly being indigenous in the U.S. or any settler colonial state is not a kind experience. So even before the apocalypse, I'm sure they were aware acutely of who could be trusted and who couldn't. And just, yeah, I the actress who played the the wife, Elaine Miles, I hadn't seen her before, but Graham Greene has been in so much. He's just like such a great actor and it was such a great little moment for him. So that even though we only got the five minutes, I was really happy that he got to show up on screen. It was highly memorable, but it was little more than a cameo. Let's let's be honest. It was was a cute off the top, like pre-roll into the sitcom kind of like it's almost that light almost uh-huh. but they do talk to because because you know joel's giving the whole like oh i'm looking for my brother and they're like yeah i haven't seen him well i haven't told you what he looks like well does he look like you yeah kind of well i haven't seen him like i was uh-huh. just like oh my god joel why are you being such a dick but i guess yeah. he's desperate and they say don't go over this river it's the river of death and both Joel and Ellie are sort of like eye rolling that a little, like, like especially Ellie's just like, ooh, you know, like a river of death and all of this stuff. But, uh, Joel, I think, takes it a little more. Se- he's he's concerned. He's concerned. Yeah. He's actually taking it more seriously. He's just not. He has a poker face, right? He doesn't want to show it, but the wife knows because mm-hmm. Ellie says, "Well, you don't scare me with that," and she goes, "Really, you scared him?" Yeah, so she she knows. If you encounter two people who've survived 20 years isolated using their own skill sets on their own in an apocalypse and they tell you this scares me, you should listen to them. Yeah. And I mean, I know Ellie's young and she's never been outside the quarantine zone until now, but even the limited time she's had on the road, she seems some shit. You've, you know, had to shoot a couple people, 14-year-old child, and like Maybe there's a moment here where you could be like, these older, wiser people aren't just going to casually invent something to scare you. But I guess that maybe that's young teenage ignorance they're trying to to drive home. I'd listen to the old lady and the old man and be frightened. I was wondering, do you think Ellie's ever seen people this old? Oh, good question. Like, that's just, like, she says, like, oh, there are a thousand. She started eye-rolling. I mean, I didn't want to take it as, I, I I mean, let's not go down this road again. But the way she was sort of eye-rolling when they said it's like a river of death, I was like, don't be prejudiced against the Native people now, Ellie. Like, it just came, just a tiny touch of that, right? Yeah. But we, we go past it. I think they make up for it by showing that Joel is down with what they're saying. Like, he gets it. So they they do leave. Mm-hmm. And they, they start going toward where they've been told not to go, basically. Because that's the way they feel they have to go. 
uh-huh. to find wherever Joel's brother, where he thinks he might be. Uh-huh. Um, he's going way out there for the brother. Yeah. I mean, what else has he got to do, really? Yeah. I was thinking that while I was watching and being like, well, I mean, in the apocalypse, to have any family member alive at all is already a miracle. He's already lost his own kid. And exactly. he, was, he was already, like, back in the normal times, I felt like he was kind of acting like a dad to the brother, too. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was always, like, having to, like, bail him out of jail and shit. Like, he was, like, like he was a teenager, and he wasn't a teenager. He was an adult man. Yeah. But I felt like, like, Joel was, like, the dad of both of them, in a way. Like, they were, like, one was the older kid, and one was the younger, more mature kid, and that was the daughter. Right. right. So maybe he just feels that, like, I have to, this is my, like, my total responsibility is to find this guy, because that's what I've always done. And they remind us later on in the episode that Tommy sort of went silent after a point. So it's not necessarily that they had a conversation where Tommy was saying, I'm leaving you, don't follow me. It was more, Tommy was out there. He left the quarantine zone. He got out to join the Fireflies. And I guess he'd left the Fireflies. But the reason for that wasn't explained. So Joel has, I guess, you know, that sense of responsibility. And also, I think the man just needs a little hope in his life, even though he won't admit it. This is something he definitely needs to hold on to. And obviously he's bonding with Ellie and he keeps trying to say, you're just cargo. I'm not connected to you. But it turns into this double justification. Like, I have to go find my brother, but I don't want to necessarily admit that I need him. So I'm doing this job. But I'm also bonding with this young person and I don't want to admit that. So I have to go find my brother. He's dealing in this big traumatic landscape with all of these heavy emotions that he just can't say out loud. I find it actually kind of touching, but he's definitely going on a long walk to get to yeah. all of this. And to, and in this episode, we do start to, like, he's losing his shit a little bit, for sure. Yeah. We first see that they go to camp, and he says he'll take both watches. Ellie, you get some sleep. I'll take, because she says, you want me to take first or second watch? So this is what they've been doing, is splitting up the night. So one watches out and one sleeps. And he says, I'll take both. I'll take both. And he wakes up and she's out watching with a gun. And, and he he fell asleep, which is, you know, that's it happens. But he takes this as some kind of like, I'm failing personal affront. Like he really takes it pretty bad. And, you know, he says, you should have woke me up. You should have woke me up. And it's like, it's okay. It's fine. It's over. So they they keep traveling. They've gotten a little boost of energy because they stole the uh, indigenous folks' rabbit. Yep, they got a little food in their belly. Yeah. And they, of course, here comes a bridge. Good old bridge. You know, the bridges <laughs> freak me out on this show. I'm just like, no, but they, <laughs> they do it anyway. <laughs> Going across a quiet, snow-filled bridge. And nothing super bad happens. Mm-hmm. The show's just trying to freak me out. At this point, they're just like, well, it's like, Oh, what about this? Oh my god. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> well, they spend all that time talking about the River of Death and the mocking of the River of Death, and then you're like, okay, well, the River of Death is clearly going to turn out to be a River of Death. Yeah. And then it doesn't, and you're like, oh, and then you get nice and comfy looking at that gorgeous Alberta snowy scenery, which is nice to admire from afar, not oh, yeah. nice to live in. No, you that know. must have been like, oh, shoot, too. They must have freezing their little bony little asses off, those two. Like he's, he's just like, what is this? I'm, Cold weather. <laughs> this fucking sucks. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, I, I lived through four Albertan winters, and at one point it was colder than the surface of Mars. <laughs> and <laughs> Like, actually, I'm not being hyperbolic. <laughs> that was, we're minus oh. 60, minus 60 degrees on one day, and no. the surface of Mars was a Comfy, balmy, minus 18. Good work, production crew over at HBO for daring to survive. And it does make for gorgeous scenery. I mean, there are lots of beautiful shots that have happened in this show, but the wintry landscapes we got in this one. The cinematography in this was really, really impressive in a different way of like the big zombie fight and stuff. You were just like, wow, these shots are incredible. And I'm pretty sure that both (laughs) actors had Hot Pockets taped to their entire body. 
they were like, I'm fine. Oh, yeah. What's the problem? <laughs> um, they get over the bridge and then they're, they're sort of off on a little fork of the river. And Ellie finally says, what if this is the river of death? Like this part. And then wouldn't you know it, here comes some cowboys just riding out, getting into a whole circle around them with their guns pointed right at them. They have to pass a sniff test with a dog that is trained to like sniff out the virus. Joel passes and they're like, that bought you 10 more seconds or some shit. Like they're being real big balls everywhere here. And then uh-huh. they put the dog on Ellie and she's sort of side-eyeing. Like she has it. We know she put off that smell, right? And the dog's kind of growling at her and you're like, oh my God. And then the dog totally lets her pass. It's like playing with her and you're just like, okay, just, just shit myself. That's fine. Um, <laughs> that's okay. So it was, they, yeah, they take them to this fort. This whole thing was so tense. And I mean, I had a feeling in the back of my mind that the dog was probably not going to murder Ellie oh, yeah, in that moment. Oh yeah, for sure. But, but I bought- still... I was, you know, what you worry about really, because I, of course, you know that she should pass this, but I thought if the dog even hesitates or growls, are they just going to shoot at her, right? And it's going to turn into like a gun, like a a shootout down by the old dam. Yeah, exactly. I didn't realize this um, until I was reading about it afterward, but they did, or the, the writers intentionally set up that dogs could sense the cordyceps virus from the first episode. When the neighbor dog senses old grandma in the chair and it freaks out and runs around. And that's what brings Joel's daughter, Sarah, into the house to begin with. And at the time, I just, I just, yeah. And I had just accepted like, okay, well, this drug dogs can smell drugs. So sure. But this is something that the showrunner is very intentionally built into the show. So I thought that was really neat. I wasn't thinking about that at the time. I was like, please don't like, you know, bite yeah. So, and this I was also reading after the episode aired, but apparently in the original video game, all of the action with meeting up with Tommy again and meeting Maria for the first time takes place at the dam that we see in this scene. Right. And the re- and the Jackson Wyoming survivor camp does exist, but they didn't show it in the first video game apparently because there were budget cuts and or budget constraints i should say and so everything that we see in the show that happens in jackson is much shorter and only takes place at the dam because the dam in the video game is under a lot more constant threat from raiding parties sure and is damaged so that's why everybody's out there they're out there fixing it whereas the show has decided to take more time in this jackson wyoming settlement proper because and i don't know if this counts quite as a spoiler i won't say too much everybody but there is a second video game and the bulk of that video game apparently takes place in this settlement so the show is intentionally giving us more time there because it is supposed to play a role, a much larger role later on. Right. So this, so he, of course, Joel spits out the only line he knows how to say. I'm looking for my brother, Tommy. So they're like, okay. (laughs) So they, they do take them back. And by the, the leader of this pack of cowboys is this lady with like a kerchief around her face and very wild west and mm-hmm. another black character, but it doesn't matter because I'm still mad about the other two. But uh, she's great. <laughs> she's there. That's fine. And they ride them back. Tommy is there. It's a, and then they sort of they all meet each other and they they're hugging and they're catching up. And um, the brother says, "How's Tess?" And Joel just yeah. says, "Oh, she's fine. Everything's fine. He won't go into it. Total denial." That was very sad. Yeah, and I mean. They do eventually talk about the truth later, but I was like, oh, first and foremost, missing Tess. I mean, we only had her for two episodes, but she really was so impactful on the story. But then, you know, the show does a good job of reminding you about all of these really important interpersonal relationships that have built up over 20 years of an apocalypse and how those are still being snuffed out. It's not just the loss of the initial disaster, but it's thousands of cumulative losses over the course of two decades, even as recently as, you know, well, three and a bit months ago in the narrative. Someone so important who's been with Joel for a very long time is gone. 
And how, just like, how do you talk about all of that loss to someone who's also experienced all of that loss? Yeah. It's more loss, awful loss. It's very sad. And very it touching. really, it, to me, it is sort of like your odds, your kickback to like the 12th century or something. Like nobody's surviving mm-hmm. this. Like only like a very lucky handful out of a hundred are going to survive this. So I don't know. The only one, like one of the questions I actually have about the show and these communes they're coming across and stuff and i'm just like is the human race still viable like how close is the human race to actually going extinct because the people left can't populate enough to restore even a a baseline population of the whole planet Mm -hmm. you can have little little clusters here and there but that's all like it's like what is this going to look like like say another 100 or 200 years down the road if the zombies are somehow stopped but even then can we still recover like what you know what i mean are we just going to die out eventually it's just just these questions that come to my mind they're very cheerful while i'm watching the show (laughs) very existential dread which i mean totally valid right Uh, this is a community of 300 people and they seem to have children running around mm-hmm. and all that. Oh, and yeah. It's good. It's it's hopeful. But then you also, you know, have to wait and see, like, what is going to happen in the next six months. Because Kansas City, where we just came from, that was probably a couple thousand people surviving. Yeah. How many of those people are still alive after old Kathleen opened the gates and let yeah. all the clickers and such come through? So... Yeah, it is. It is a very good question about will this tiny town out in the in the middle of nowhere make it? Are the you know mushroom zombies evolving as well? Will the cordyceps virus become more efficient at killing people and infecting people? And I don't know if they can make something like the bloater in twenty years. What happens if they somehow find a way to keep a host alive for even longer? Will they right. create some sort of behemoth <laughs> super killer? Fucking attack the Titan bloater. Great. That's good to think about, too. Yeah, um, and we know yeah. too, Joel isn't doing that great. Like, he's already had what kind of looked like a bit of a panic attack or something. Like, something is... It's funny, because I was thinking at first, I was just like, you know, he's in his 50s. He's healthy. If only he could get, like, a blood pressure medication, he'd probably be right as rain. <laughs> But, it, well, really, like, people don't have these medications that make men die of, like, heart attacks and shit, you know what I mean? But I mm-hmm. think, in his case, I when I thought about the episode further, I was just like, I think he's just freaking out. Like, he's, he's yeah. becoming paralyzed with doubt and fears, right? And he hasn't let any of this come to the surface, and now it's just eating him alive. Yeah, when I first saw him have that, he had the first attack um, right when they were leaving the indigenous couple's cabin. Yes. And I, you know, thought was, oh, like he's having a heart attack. Oh my, that's, we're getting that, which I think would be a very big reality for all the points you just made, Jerrica, about not having meds and, you know, not having regular doctor's visits. But the showrunners did confirm that Joel is having panic attacks. Yeah. And that, I mean... If you have had panic attacks in the past, you probably recognize that's going on. And yeah, he's just, there's so much. It goes back to what I was saying about all the loss. Like, he just has to bury it all down. We had that conversation a couple episodes ago between Joel and Ellie, where they get essentially their only chance to talk about all the trauma that's just happened. And it's five minutes and then move on. And it's probably the longest Joel has ever had to talk about it in a while. So he's just carrying all of this stuff deep down inside. And now he's got Ellie and he's connecting with her. And it it is really just going to sledgehammer his body in ways that he probably wasn't, you know, even prepared to experience, didn't want to think about. And here it all is. (laughs) And so this, and it happens a second time as well, though I can't remember the exact timing. Mm -hmm. The show does start to blur together for me a bit here. Uh, where we get into some nonsense, but, you know, I guess we had to (laughs) step through this. I just, this fort, like, some of the stuff (laughs) they have going, I'm just like, how? How do you have these things? Like, she just happens to have this supply of, like, young girl clothes that she can give to Ellie. She's like, I traded for this. And I'm like, yeah, but who had it? It looks brand new. 
It looks brand. It's not like used nice clothing. It's brand fucking new. And then she gives her a diva cup with like the instructions, right. which is listen. That's a lovely present in the apocalypse because you there's no tampons any. She found one box of tampons, but I'm just like, mm-hmm. is that they're out in the middle of nowhere? It's like how do they find this shit? Like where I don't understand what's going on, but. <laughs> Like, I I don't get, I got, like, the electricity, and they had the tree up, and they have a fucking Christmas tree. I was like, that seems inappropriate, but whatever. And they have electricity because of this dam that they have fixed and made run again, so they have electricity running. And that I could totally buy into, even Mm -hmm. though it would take, like, an engineer and shit. But, I mean, I think they have smart people. Uh But, But the other stuff, I was like, but how are you getting this? I don't understand what the supply is for these new things, these items. I guess the idea is like, well, you know, given how much capitalism produces of just excess stuff, I suppose they're going into bigger cities. I don't know how big Jackson, Wyoming actually is to begin with, but, you know, Denver, Colorado. I'm sure it has a a Walmart. Yeah. Yeah. And And it must be storehouses or something that are just full of shit. But yeah, I but just imagine all of them to me after what they've set up for the show. I was just like, huh. All right. Well, yeah, because my mind goes to, well, OK, you went and you raided big box stores. Sure. But most of those big box stores were probably in heavily populated areas. So did you clear out all of the zombies in there first? Was it that the zombies all moved on somehow? And I think we're not supposed to look too hard at those questions and sort of be like, no. uh yeah, there just weren't that many zombies in the nearest major city because so we could get the stuff. It's not even that. Like, like my my mind just it, you know what it threw me with like the clothing and the diva cup because I was just like, is that a new diva cup or did you give her a fucking twenty year old diva cup? Because that's gross. Yeah, like they do run out, they become brittle and stuff. So I was just like, so that's supposed to be new. So what's going on yeah. there? Like, you know, the male writers of this don't want me to think too hard about that. But I tell you, that's what every woman thought of when she saw that. You were just like, what? Yeah. Well, and so this kind of this this sort of highlights a a little bit of an issue that I have with the show overall, though it's not the biggest deal. But I generally don't love massive time jumps within a narrative. Right. And I think... The, so in the video game, from my what I understand is the apocalypse happens in 2013, and the show or or the present day stuff in the video game takes place in 2033. So still a 20 year gap, but the show has done it so that the 20 year gap starts in 2003, and 20 years later is now. And yeah. what I would have done would have been start the show in 20 or start the apocalypse in 2023 for the show, and then have a set 10 years ahead. Still doesn't mean like a 10 year old diva cup versus a 20 year old diva cup is still a lot of age, but it makes, it makes things a little easier, not only for like the number of things that have aged and how many supplies are still available, but also for the age of the actors. So that's me nitpicking and it's, it really is just a personal taste thing, but I feel like all of this new stuff lying around 20 years after an apocalypse, if you got the sheep and the cattle wouldn't you start making some of your own like wool and leather and yeah. stuff and yeah. getting away from as much of the, the stock stuff or wouldn't you have just moved through a lot of the stock or I don't know. So yeah, it's a bit of a, um, don't look too closely at this. Yeah, I think so. I think I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm spiraling into it, but it really, I mean, it was to me, it was like a flag waving in front of your face. It was just, oh, look at this. And I, I mean, maybe it was the writers just showing me what fucking feminists they are, but it, it went the wrong way because they uh-huh. showed that they don't understand how that show works. <laughs> That's right. what they showed me. <laughs> um, yeah. But, and then, and, and so Maria's, it's Maria, right? Yes, Maria. Yeah. So she's being very motherly to, Ellie, which I think is putting mm. Ellie off a little bit, but she says, oh, let me cut your hair. So she she gives her a little trim, but uh-huh. she also sort of, you know, they have, it's a funny little talk they have where it sort of ends with like, you know, the people you trust the most are the ones who are going to betray you. So look out, because she, I guess she has a dislike for Joel. She doesn't trust him. So she's trying to pass that into the kid, which is 
I think if I was in the shoe, I, I understand not knowing if you can trust him or not, but why instill that mistrust in a child that has no choice but to go with him? Yeah. Like, I thought that was a little questionable, but, uh, oh, and by the way, Maria and Tommy are a couple, so that makes it, that's what's making it awkward, too, because they have to be nice to this lady, even though she basically pointed a gun at them for, like, five or six minutes at the top of the show and she's pregnant too we can't forget that oh yeah she's She's... well we find that out because so first tommy tommy and and joel have a bit of a headbutt uh at so like you know they they sort of get off on the wrong foot and weird stuff gets said and then later on in the episode you know the brother comes back to joel and he apologizes and says, you know, I shouldn't have said that stuff. And and then Joel apologizes because they're nice boys. So they apologize. Uh-huh. But then they get into a talk and Joel is like breaking down. Like he is because what he wants is for Tommy to get the kid the rest of the way to where they have to go because he feels like he is failing. And he was like, you know, they were putting dog on her. They were going to shoot her. And I just stood there. I couldn't I couldn't do anything. Like, what What am I doing? Like, I can't protect her. And you're younger than me. You've, you know, and they even make a joke that, you know, Joel's really aged and Tommy hasn't because his life hasn't been as hard. And right. Joel's turning into an old man in his eyes. And he's just like, well, you know, she's going to be much safer with you. And that's, you know, and at first Tommy had said, you know, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be a dad. And that's how the first sort of headbutt started. Cause he's sort of, <laughs> of like, well, we'll see if you're a good dad or whatever the hell he said. Yeah. Something kind of nasty. <laughs> so Tommy does agree the second time. He's like, okay, I'm going to take her. I'm going to get her there. Cause it's like, it's close. It's not that far away that they have to get to. They have to get to this university, right? Yeah. Like this lab in this university. So he's like, we're going to take her. I'm going to get her there. It's it's fine. Now, when Ellie finds out what they're planning to do, oh, she is pissed. She is so angry. Yeah. They have this super angry confrontation. And it also, this is where Ellie learns that Joel had a daughter. Thanks, to Maria spilling some very Hot precious tea. information. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So she's there, definitely. I love, like, the actress who plays Maria, Rutina Wesley. I'm a big fan of her. She used to be on um, True Blood all those years ago. And I'm really happy to see her back on the screen because I think she's a great actor. The character, however, is causing quite a bit of whoopsies in the short stretch of time we're getting her on this yeah. episode. So, you know, she equips Ellie with this extremely important information that Joel has very specifically kept from her. And they have this really intense blow up where Ellie confronts him about Sarah and her death. And Joel tells her not to go there, but Ellie does anyway. And then he tries to insist that he's leaving her. This is it. You mean nothing to me. You are cargo. I am getting the hell out of here. It's really sad to watch. Because they do both care about each other so much. Joel is just trying to do anything not to feel love and family bonding with people around him. Because the world has just carved that from him so many times. Well, I think it's also, I mean, if you start to think of her as even the person you're caring for, and then you lose another, like, he'd just die right there. Like, that's what I think. The damage from the first little girl dying... And then if the, the same thing happens again, that's that's what he's afraid of. Like, that is what yeah. he is afraid of, is the whole thing happening again. And it was his responsibility. He'll never see it as not his fault that that girl died, even though nothing uh-huh. really would have stopped it. But he will, you know, you, and you would think that as a parent. You'd be like, I should have thrown myself in front of her. I should have stopped the bullet, right? And um, yeah. if, if you know, he's just, he cannot fathom the thought of that happening for a second time. And I that's why he has that panic attack after, you know what I mean? Like after the whole thing with where they're going to point the guns at her and everything, it's just like, it's too much. Yeah. They all agree to this. They have the big fight. And, and Joel drops the, drops the information to Tommy about her being a potential cure. Yeah. Antidote to this whole thing, which is big information to reveal. And after the tense 
moment with the dog sniffing early in the episode, that little bit of quiet where Tommy sort of walks away, we've already come to understand that Maria is sort of in charge of this place. And we know that the people are very tough on those who have been bitten. So it just, it really got me in that moment. Like, is he going to go? Is he going to run to Maria? But he makes the choice not to and agrees, which is good. So they're in, they're ready to go. Joel has told Ellie, you mean nothing to me. I'm getting out of here. Tommy's in the know. He chooses not to tell Maria, or maybe he did, and she was just cool with it. That could be an option. Point is, he's going to go. And then, instead, we have this moment where they both sort of, Joel and Ellie, realize that, no, we do care about each other, and we want to stick together. And He would never say that. They come out, and he's, yeah. of course... She says, what are you doing out here? And he was like, well, I was going to just leave. But then I thought, you know, you should have the choice. And she's like, then I choose you, you dumb butt. And they yeah. they go on their way. It's very it's very cute. It's a tacit understanding. It works perfectly for the characters. I loved it. I was like, yeah, you get on those horses, you, you gorgeous, gorgeous dad and daughter weirdo situation thing. Yeah. Non, go for it. Non-pervy situation. Please don't, you know, make it go. Actually, they've been very good. It's completely non-creepy. It's totally non-creepy. But I have to admit, I was kind of hoping the brother would go with them because mm-hmm. Joel's making me nervous. Like, frankly, yeah. he's making me nervous because he's not in a good headspace. Yeah. He wants to go with her because he knows she wants him to, and he doesn't really want to leave her, but he has been having these panic attacks. He's not in the best shape, like mentally, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, uh, what is going to happen here? Because you know it's not going to be good because the show's not over yet. So they, they go on their way. And they they have a very easy trip. Very yeah. peaceful, easy trip. Like, this is fine. Everything's going. They're both on a horse. It's very cute. Everything's going great. They arrive at the university. And it does seem quite deserted. And I'm like, here we fucking go. As soon as you see the monkeys, you know, so monkeys anywhere in any post-apocalyptic <laughs> situation, do not trust. I've seen 28 Days Later. They're running around. Monkeys started it in 28 Days Later. Monkeys are still around here. And after we had the lovely, like, learning how to shoot, the the aiming, the the sunny winterscape, all that nonsense, the monkeys show up and I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Here it comes. I had a feeling the university was going to be a problem. Like, I just thought, because they keep... They keep leading us by the balls up to these next, like, oh, this is the destination. And then they get there and it's a shit show. Like, that keeps that keeps happening. And I just thought, yeah. there's nobody around. Like, there's no, and even uh, Joel says, like, there's no guards. That's kind of weird. Like, guards at the doors and stuff. They make yeah. their way inside. So it's like a university hospital, basically. Like, very hospital-type setup. But it's kind of been trashed. It's not functioning. There's nobody there. Yeah. And this part felt very video game once again, but in a good oh, yeah. way. Like yeah. it felt very much, Abandoned Hospital reminds me of pretty much two thirds of every horror video game I've ever seen. Or I haven't really played a lot, but you always can find a way to put Abandoned Hospital into your horror situations. A very creepy experience. They're moving through. Clearly, the Fireflies and their team of scientists and doctors and whoever were here not so long ago. But it looked like they got up and left rather quickly. Well, they find like a moving list. Like somebody made a list of all the stuff you get together when you're going somewhere. They hear something upstairs and you're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. So they go go up and it's very, it's like you say, reminded me of episode two. Like I'm in a video game, like what's in this room? What's over here in this room? What's going on here? And you're sort of behind them. So it's that like POV game player thing. Uh And then they finally get to the root of the noise and it's a fucking monkey. It's running around. Goddamn monkeys! Being a dick. But, I mean, I was just like, oh, it's a good thing the monkeys don't have the, the disease. Why is that? There's another question that's going right up to the sky and never coming down again. Because I'm just like, wouldn't <laughs> the monkeys be at risk of getting this thing? But Well, get ready for spinoff number seven from the show. <laughs> sure to come. All monkeys, <laughs> all the time. 
monkey zombies and uh they're like okay okay so it looks like they went to salt lake city yep. god only knows why and i feel like that's really far away i don't yes. know that because we don't care about american geography up here in canada <laughs> and that's okay because nobody knows what a province is once you get south of the border so tit for tat exactly. i think it is it's far it is far i know that yeah my guess is that if the fireflies have caused so much havoc to FEDRA, the military incarnation of the former American government, they probably are actively hunted. Maybe not like active, actively hunted, but FEDRA probably keeps tabs on them, probably comes and fucks up their shit every now and again. Yeah. So I'm sure FEDRA doesn't care that the Fireflies have a few scientists who might be working on a cure. I'm sure Fedra has a few scientists working on a cure. They probably only know that this university houses fireflies. Yeah, and a, if unit, it's... a unit of, of terrorists, right? Exactly, in their eyes. So they, I imagine, although maybe we'll find out later that it's something more specific, but I imagine the fireflies are on the move fairly frequently just so that they can't be spotted. And Salt Lake City is far enough away from the old base to you know, maybe throw off Fedra or something like that. Yeah. And they also could be keeping their work a secret. Like they don't want Fedra to get ahead of them with whatever research they're doing, or they think that they don't want to fall into the wrong hands or who who knows. Right. Um, so, okay. It was, they figure out, okay, it's Salt Lake city. And then they hear something outside and Joel looks out and it is Raiders. Yeah. Right. Not monkey. Yeah. Not monkeys, actual dudes who look scary. And so he's like, okay, yeah. going, going out the back, going out the back. So they run out to the back. They're getting on their fucking horse. One of them just sneaks up behind Joel and gets into a physical altercation. And Joel murders him because what are you going to do? He just <laughs> he just strangles him in the in the chokehold of his you know his uh, his arm. And the guy goes down. He gets on the horse. And then how do they catch up with them? Well, so it, it, it's. Joel, when they run out and they get to the horse, and as they're getting on, the guy hits him with some object. I think it was a baseball bat, but it might have been something. And Joel breaks it. And as he's choking the guy and wrestling him to the ground, he does... I think kill him, or at least knocks him out pretty good. But the guy manages to... His neck snaps. He killed him. His neck snaps, yeah, okay. But before his neck snaps, he manages to get the the handle end, which is now jagged because Joel broke it off. He manages to stab him in the gut. Yeah. And and that's how it happens. And Ellie's the one who notices that it's in there because, you know, I guess adrenaline's going and it's a big skirmish and Joel is doing what he has to do. And... Then Joel pulls it out. And from my understanding, not that I've been stabbed in the stomach or anything, but you're not supposed to remove objects that have been shoved into you like that. Because you can maybe survive it if you tape it down and stop blood loss and get to a doctor. But if you pull it out, you're creating a big open gushing wound. But where but but honestly, my like where where the where is he finding a doctor? Right, they're out, they're out in the middle the of nowhere. Line, they're out in the middle of nowhere. But I agree, pulling it out like that was probably not the smoothest idea. But... Yeah, and it's a traumatic experience. So I can yeah. imagine, you know, Joel doesn't matter how many skirmishes he's survived, how much shit he's seen in that moment. You're probably just like, oh god, and your instinct is like, oh, take it out, take it out, take it out. So yeah. your mind would body. have to. Be- You'd have to be really sharp and present and, I don't know, really used to being stabbed in order to consciously think, okay, no, don't pull the sharp thing out of my body. Keep it in place. And we already know that Joel is teetering on the edge and he pulls it out and he collapses. And there's Ellie. Ellie's amazing. She's like, get on the horse, get on the horse, get on the horse. And she gets him onto the horse. But then as they, they trot away and she's like, okay, we lost them. Like they travel a little distance and then he just falls off the horse. And she's like, shit. And they're just literally out in the middle of nowhere. And she's going, come on, come on, come on. And that's how the fucker ends, Milo. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Ah, I knew it was coming as soon as he fell off that horse. I'm like, they're going to cut. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. We're we're going to black. And then next week, of course, we're getting Ellie's backstory episode. Okay. So we're not even getting a definitive conclusion to what's happening to Joel next week. We're going to get a nice long stretch. Yeah. Of well, I'm very excited to see Ellie's backstory and how she got bit. That's going to be part of it and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're not we're not getting answers. But then we know the whole time that Pedro is dying. Dying. Exactly. So I get I get it as a as, as a creative choice to keep people, you know, guessing. I am worried, and I might even feel a bit of this myself, that everyone's going to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Ellie's backstory, whatever. Can we get back to, is Pedro dead? Is Joel dead? So Everybody's thinking Pedro. I <laughs> no, I mean, we're also in love with Pedro at this point. Yeah, so yeah. He's the internet's dad yeah. now. And people are like, no, dad, don't die. Yeah. He's like, I'm I not have that photo. Watch The Mandalorian next week. I'm well and good. Don't you? I'm making so much money right now. You would not believe it. <laughs> exactly. And I'm wearing so, very uh, weird clothes to the premieres. So don't worry about Pedro. Yes. He's, he's, he's got a, a whole kooky bag going on. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. So I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried that some people might be less invested in Ellie's story next week because I don't think HBO has to worry about people tuning into this show. It's no. a hit. Yeah. We're all here. We yeah. all want to see it to the end. Yes, and absolutely. Maybe it just made the most sense to have this moment happen narratively here. I'm not exactly sure how this plays in with the video game because I chose not to keep reading for this part because right. I don't want to know what happens yeah. to Joel. This yeah. is HBO, right, folks? So be prepared Main characters die quite easily on their own shows. I don't know. I don't know what's coming, and I don't want to know. But I'm excited for Ellie's backstory, but I'm also going to be thinking, okay, tell me, but is, is Joel okay? What's Is he getting the Ned Stark treatment? Or, like, what? What's happening? Yeah. What I'm wondering is if they're going to use her, like, what I can see is an episode that comes comes back and forth into flashbacks and you see how she's she's sitting with him while he's dying and then going off into her own world and yeah. then maybe in some way she tries to acquire assistance like i'm hoping they sort of blend the two together because it's it's a time for her to be by herself because he's out right but she also has to stay awake keep her mind occupied and keep maybe trying to hold the wound down or who knows what's going to be happening right that's that's what i think they might try to do is sort of go back and forth between what's happening now and then what is happening in her memory i'd prefer that for sure i mean i've enjoyed some backstory exploration that we've gotten in the show but i do like it when we stay at least partially present with the narrative so you know Hopefully we do get an appropriate blend and it, it ties in well. And there are, like, there's stuff about Ellie's backstory that I'm excited to see. Um, and we all know, I think, a certain element is going to be revealed, although we've talked about it already. So yeah. sorry for spoiling that, everybody. But for this episode of the podcast, we will not say it explicitly. No, but... we'll wait. We'll wait. Because we don't know what they're going to do, to be exactly. fair. We don't know what they're going to do, but let's just find out. Yeah, let's just find out. So... Very excited once again to see next week's episode. And you know, I, this was this was a, a a bit of a quieter episode, but quieter in the way The Last of Us does quieter. So someone's still bleeding. There's you know been a, a neck broken. I do I know that we'll probably return to Jackson, Wyoming, and we'll see more of Maria at some point in the future. Looking forward to that. Maybe at the end of this season, or maybe next season. But another it might, it might be sooner than later. I mean, the closest place to take him back to would be there. Yeah. So consider that, right? If he lives, that's where she's got to get him back to. And that's yeah. the closest, safest place. Yeah. But how she's going to do that, I don't, maybe she'll walk the horse back. I mean, she'd be a real hero to do that. So we'll see. <laughs> I don't know how she gets him up on that horse, but. And maybe she pushes him into the river and floats him down away. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, I keep, every time I get worried about her, I have to be like, Jerrica, she's a 20-year-old woman. She's a 20. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Because she looks like she's 13 or 14. Like, there, 
I don't know what happened to this woman genetically. I think you know what it is too. She's kept her crooked teeth, right? And that makes her not. No offense, her teeth look fine. I'm just talking of most actors end up getting them like capped and straightened and all this bullshit, right? And she's yeah. kept her natural teeth, and they give her a childlike appearance to her face as well. Yeah, even out of the show, yeah, Bella Ramsey definitely looks young. The character is supposed to be 14, though, even though the actress is 20. So that yeah. is it's supposed to be 14, right? But I but, assure myself that the actress is is a woman so that I don't get too worried that she's being traumatized. Yeah, they're not just torturing her, the Albert Wilderness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay. Once again, I have <laughs> we taken enjoyed my the wild ride. Weekly dose of trauma, which was a little less potent this time, but I'm still I'm still concerned. Very concerned yep. right now. Yeah, we did go on a journey. It was nice to see Alberta in winter again from a distance through screen. Warm we, in my own we house. We found Tommy. That's a big accomplishment for the show. We've been leading up to this for like six episodes, so that's something. And we lots found, of really uh, a, a livable town. Yeah. And lots of really strong supporting performances from characters who live. And that's that's kind of nice. At yeah. least live for this episode. Yeah. Who knows what's <laughs> they're coming. Alive, they're alive currently. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. We, we've killed some people off in the past, but, you know, we're going to probably see more of Maria, at least. I don't know about the indigenous couple, but leave them be then. Just let them have a nice time. They were that's doing true. nothing before. Yeah, they can have their I think they can handle themselves. They're okay. Exactly. Either give them a spin-off or never show me them again because <laughs> I do not want them to die. Yes, they were too charming. <laughs> they were too lovely. So either want four seasons in a movie or I want you to leave them in peace. That's right. Graham is hoping for the yeah. four seasons options, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, he deserves it. He does. Anyway. He's a Canadian treasure. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you once again, Milo, and I'm sorry about your cold, but happy birthday. Thank you, Jerrica. I'll try and drain some of the fluids out of my face <laughs> and be right as rain. <laughs> now there's a horrifying image. One last bit of trauma for you before we go. Have a yeah. huge fluffy piece of cake and a real imitate. of anti-zombies, whatever that is, unicorns, Pegasus. You know, Kylie Minogue. Something Kylie. Like that. I, I love it. Yeah, Kylie Minogue concert. That's, where yeah, that's yep. what you can do. Okay. Sure. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, enjoy. And uh, until next week, goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to the Popular Parallax Limited Series Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Popular Parallax. Episode produced by Ann Meehan. Theme song by Ken Chamberlain. We'll see you next time. And remember, Daddy is a state of mind, you know what I'm saying? I'm your daddy. <laughs>